Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM. My name is Travel Risk Bex, and I'm the host of a podcast series dedicated to travel risk management. Today, I have another international guest joining us, which is always really exciting, based in Washington. Um, I have, I would like to call a friend, again, this is kind of like a LinkedIn friendship that we've established over the last couple of years, Jake, so I won't say I know you personally from that side of things, but I think... um, We've established quite a nice rapport over the work that we've done. So we met when I put a call out when we were looking at some of the standard work of as far as looking at travel service providers and how we were going to develop some of that stuff. And Jake got in got in touch and said he was really interested in 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 the standard and that whole that whole work. And then we had a whole conversation around what he does. And ever since then, when this kind of concept of doing a podcast came to me. Like Jake's been one of the top people on my list to have a conversation with because I just know there's another whole side to this stuff that you guys don't know enough about. And hopefully Jake can, you know, share some of that with us. So I'm going to stop talking now because this is not, it is my podcast, but it's all about you. Um, I'm absolutely delighted that you're here. Thank you so much. I it, Five in the morning. What's the time over there now? Sorry. It's now just past 6 a.m. Yeah. So oh, it's from okay. the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it's good to be with you. I actually, for the for the occasion, I wore my my shirt with the little Bigfoots on it here. Uh, oh, know, I love the that. Thank you. For anyone stuff. watching, and if anyone not, just get on YouTube now and have a yeah. quick look because it's a great shirt. <laughs> um, so, Jake, I'm going to hand over and I'm going to ask our first question. So, so who are you, and what is it that you do? Yeah, my name is Jake Newton. Um, living now in Spokane, Washington, very close to the Idaho border for those not familiar with the area up here in the Pacific Northwest. But um, I started my career back in 2009 in the United States Air Force. And um, that brought me from New York State, where I was born, to a very small town called Lowville, New York. And um, Air Force basic training is down in Texas. So went there and that was my first uh, entree into adulthood, if you will. And I had the opportunity to try out for a career field known as SEER, uh, Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. And then I became a SEER specialist. It's it's a pipeline. You have to make it. It's an attrition program. And I was one of the ones either uh, dumb enough or just able to withstand long enough to be able to make it through and uh, join the career field. But effectively, what I had the opportunity to do when I was in the Air Force was, for all intents and purposes, travel risk management for those in the United States military. And I'm happy to dive into that more, but did that for several years. I was um, medically discharged actually in 2014. The rigors of the job took its toll on my body. And that was kind of my entree into the private sector. And I joined a company called the Center for Personal Protection and Safety and have pretty well been there since doing a couple different roles. I actually, when I originally joined, being an instructor by trade in the Air Force, um, my boss coming into the company wanted to 
use that expertise and be able to teach courses because that's a lot of what they do is a training and consulting company. And um, so I did that, but he also um, wanted me to have a business development role as well, build relationships and do some of your traditional sales things. So I did that for several years. And um, then I went to a company called On Call International, where I actually did just straight sales for them for the West Coast for about a year and a half and decided that wasn't the most desirable thing I wanted to do with my career. I, I was pretty good at business development on that side of it when I was with CPPS originally. And uh, I was in DC at the time and wanted to get back out to the West Coast. And this, this company, I had a relationship with them and I was like, well, I'll give it a try. And um, so I took over their West Coast sales director position as a way to get back to the um, West Coast. And that was my first time going into a travel assistance company. Um, they're much like your you know, um, Global Guardians and International SOS type company for those not familiar with OnCall. And um, so I did that for, I think it was about 18 months and um, CPPS had an operations role open back up and uh, really wanted to start getting back into those things more in line with my roots of what I did in the Air Force and really work with clients to build their programs. And um, so it worked out. I was able to do that and uh, joined the, the company again here back in Spokane, Washington. And um, I've been doing that since. And that was actually right, if you can believe it, right in the middle of the pandemic when that when that transition happened. So um, I've been doing that since the middle of 2020. I remember us talking about it at the time because it was around the time we kind of started having our conversations. And it felt like a weird kind of role for you to be getting into, didn't it, when there weren't people traveling. But we also talked about the fact it's the best time to do it <laughs> because you can actually get yes. some plans in and and actually it's quieter and it's a lot easier to kind of get some of that stuff done so we're definitely going to go back to the um to the i've got some questions i think that i just want to mm -hmm. obviously with your background and i really do want to kind of understand a bit more and we can perhaps explore some of this stuff that you were doing for the air force and for that for that military personnel because we know it's going to be at a higher level immediately because obviously they're going to be in conflict zones potentially as well as mm -hmm. you know in other zones and peacekeeping missions and whatever that looks like yeah this might be controversial how shocked were you when you came across to the other side to the corporate world or were you not shocked with the differences because i speak to a lot of security companies obviously come from ex-service military or ex-police mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff so there's a bar mm -hmm. but there's also a a reluctance sometimes from the corporates to reach that bar or a lack yeah. of knowledge. So mm -hmm. what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? For me personally, it was a shock in the sense that I never really intended to be in the private sector to begin with. Um, from a young kid, I always kind of knew the military was going to be my path. And um, so when I got in, that was, I had all of my eggs in that basket. And so what, what resulted in me actually getting out of the service was I had the privilege and some folks think uh, the, the uh, not so much the benefit uh, of jumping out of planes when I had my job and carried rucksacks, you know, heavy backpacks all the time. So it was pretty tough on the body. There's a lot of people that really don't come out of this career field without their scars. And it just happened to get me a little bit sooner than what it does some other folks. Um, it basically messed up my spine. And um, so when I came into the private sector, it was that transitional period. It really took me probably a solid 18 months to come 
uh, within myself and reconcile that I'm no longer doing truly what I wanted to be doing. And um, yeah. so I was thrilled to learn that there was a career field and a career path that was similar to what I was doing in the Air Force, albeit, you know, for a much different customer, for a much different use. And um, it's been drinking from a fire hose ever since, truly. I mean, there's still days I'll be working day to day and I'm trying to identify like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing today. And um, so there definitely was a transitional period without a doubt. Um, but, you know, it's been really cool to see exactly the different capabilities of what the private sector can actually do. And actually the relationship, at least for a lot of us in the U.S., I don't know the full extent of how this relates for other countries around the world, but um, there's actually a really strong relationship in many cases when you start talking about certain perils where private sector has an intersection with those capabilities in the government and making these kind of things work. Uh, getting U.S. nationals back home and these sorts of things. And so the really cool thing is I have all of that expertise of what this looks like from the government side. So when I'm talking to my private sector clients, I can really leverage that and say, here's where all of this comes together. Um, and that's really cool. A perfect example of this is when we had the Ukraine conflict develop and begin. Um, a lot of folks over there were just, you know, traveling for business scholastic purposes, um, and of course, the government reasons as well. Well, um, when we have something that extreme, there can be a real need for sometimes the government to step in and actually provide some level of resources and support, whether through the United States State Department or uh, in some rare cases uh, for certain individuals, the, the U.S. military will step in. You know, you've probably seen the headlines of doctors getting saved and stuff like this all around the world uh, or journalists or whoever it might be. Um, and so really being able to see, oh, I know the background of how this can actually happen, what that looks like, and being able to provide guidance and support and answers to something that can seem uh, to some kind of abstract of how, you know, how does that actually happen? And um, so the short answer long, I guess, um, you know, it's, it was really nice to be able to uh, be able to relate all of those experiences to what I'm now doing in the private sector. But there was no doubt a transitional period uh, going through all of that. I bet there was. Um, and it's really interesting to hear that. And I think it's quite reassuring um, to hear that there is this kind of convergence that can kind of come together. And I think the insight that you bring, certainly for the companies that you're working with, and lucky them, is this idea that you do understand. Because I think the problem we've got at the corporate level at the moment, certainly for those clients that are getting new new to this and haven't completely is it just feels like it's a whole set of policies um, and we just kind of write things down. And as long as we've got all of that done, then we're kind of okay. But there isn't, is there? There's this whole operational piece. And I think, again, if, if we, I don't know, so say there's an, an evacuation, for example, you know, we, we shout mm -hmm. these words around and you know, what's your policy on evacuations? And, but you know actually what it means to do that and actually what's going to happen as far as from a, you know, so whether you've experienced it yourself when you were in the military or you, you understand um how that works and that i think that's a massive insight because that's the important bit you know we talk a lot about training or rehearsals or putting your travelers into situations because we're going to read it and we're going to forget it right we're just seeing information all of the time mm -hmm. unless it's kind of trained in you in some way you're not going to know how to react just because you've got it written on a policy it's not going to mean anything and i think right. that's that's some of the stuff i think that you know you bring to the table as well which i think with lived experience which you've got, 
um, makes a massive difference when you're talking to clients, and I'm sure they they benefit. So let's let's dig into your why, Jake. Um, I I hear you, and I understand that this was all you know your dream was always to go in that direction. Where to just tell us kind of where this drive still remains because it isn't the easiest um, of worlds to mm. be in. People will argue it's maybe a little easier post COVID. I, I don't completely agree <laughs> that it is, and the world is. Um, the world is definitely, it feels like it's imploding a little at the moment, like things seem to be getting worse rather than better, yet yet there's still this kind of disinterest sort of from the corporate sector, there's a part interest, there's a part not interest, so so what is it that drives you in this space? I think the ability to, um, and it sounds cliche, but help people in the circumstances where they're potentially having some of the worst time in their life, and truly being able to um, you know, have, whether it's a program in place, or I really love what you just said a moment ago in terms of it really comes down to, in many cases, the training, um, training is very near and dear to my heart. Um, because it has so much to do about the individual traveler. And that was one of the biggest perspectives I learned when I was in the military is the what just by the design of how they have this program set up in the military we don't call it travel risk management we call it personnel recovery and um so if you just think about that concept it's all about recovering the individual but who has the one of the largest roles in that it is that individual that is out there exposed to the elements exposed to the environment and um so i really love the ability to uh, be a part of a mission where I'm helping people uh, find answers to something that might be one of the most significant stressors they might actually face in their lifetime. Um, and so I, I don't know where that came from. It's really kind of strange. I knew growing up, uh, that's kind of just the path I was on. Um, it, my dad would tell me, he was like, you know, I, what, I don't remember this, but he would share with me throughout the last several years now doing what I do. And he said, you know, I can remember you as a young kid saying, you know, dad, when I grow up, I'm going to rescue people. And just so bizarre, like that I actually follow that kind of a career path. And, you know, I actually it followed through from the youngest of ages. And uh, so I guess to some degree, I, I have to get, give it to its intrinsic within me. Um, but, you know, there's also the, the real joy I get from being able to be in a position where I can really provide answers to somebody that, you know, has no answers or has no ability to provide them for themselves. I just love that. I think I literally just went, love you. <laughs> you said that. That's so cute. <laughs> um, and, and as most people are like, you know, and it could be, that could be a doctor, couldn't it? Or it could be a fireman mm -hmm. or whatever. There could be lots of different avenues that you could have gone down, but actually mm -hmm. this is quite specific. And, and, I just love what you're saying about, you know, being able to help people in that moment when they literally need it the most and ultimately could be a life changing moment, right? Of some mm -hmm. description or another, possibly a life saving moment. Need help implementing a standard or maintaining a management system? Ascent Risk Management can support you throughout any stage of your project. The expert team delivers impartial consultancy and auditing services across multiple disciplines, including information security, cybersecurity, environmental sustainability, health and safety, quality management, and business improvement. More than just box ticking, their team works in collaboration with yours to build up bespoke management systems that return real business benefits. 
find Ascent online at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com. Let's dig into this a bit more, Jake. Let's look at, you know, what, what is an average day like for you and what what's the sort of stuff that you're, you're doing and how are you supporting companies? Because I think it's really important for our listeners to hear this side, especially the corporates, just to know all the other stuff that's going on in the background. Yeah. And, you know, really what I've done has had its definite evolution in how it's changed since the pandemic. Um, so with the company I'm with now, it's Center for Personal Protection and Safety, which we always say, just go with the acronym CPPS because it'll save you about 150 syllables. <laughs> um, but we have two areas of expertise that we're primarily known for. And one of those is travel risk management. Um, the other side of it is uh, what we call here in the States, workplace violence prevention and intervention programs, um, workplace safety programs, workplace harassment programs, all of these different things, depending on where you are, where you find yourself in the world. Um, and traditionally, those two things, and for many organizations, they still are stovepiped um, and never the twain shall meet kind of thing. However, there's been a real um, progression in the space. And actually, I think Bruce McIndoe, uh, you said he was uh, on one of your episodes recently, um, and he says it really well, but it's really getting into an age of what he calls people risk management. Um, when I'm talking to clients, you know, effectively, it gets into the safety and security of individuals, regardless of where they find themselves working, right? Yes. And that's really been kind of the future and where we're starting to work with different organizations. And so working with an organization to build that program and that infrastructure, getting into the policies and the plans and the procedures, and then it is those various levels of training. So if we have these dusty documents on the shelf, well, actually bringing them to life and ensuring that we're implementing them, and that comes by training whoever is going to be working within this program. So training the traveler, training those that are managing this program, travel managers and those in benefits and those on the security side, are they communicating with each other? Crisis management teams and exercising them, um, working with company executives or the leadership of a college institution uh, for those sending students around the globe, whoever it is to be able to identify how do we actually make this program work? And in the age of, you know, somebody, as long as they have a laptop, they can kind of work wherever they are in the world, so long as the organization allows it. There's a real different paradigm that we need to be looking at with that because while they might be traveling, while now they're kind of stationed in another location that we don't generally operate in, and how are we keeping track of this individual and uh, certainly keeping track of them from that safety and security perspective? And so um, what I do in my day job now is help organizations really try and unpack that complex kind of puzzle and make it look like it's actual, uh, actually kind of an organized sheet of music and, you know, be able to um, have the program within the organization, but also individuals that really know how to use it and make it effective uh, for their business or their school, whatever it might be. And for when it counts and for when it doesn't count, right? Because it, it's just music to my ears. This is, you know, it's, it's kind of what I'm doing but in a slightly different area, but it's just actually trying to get some management into these travel programs, right? Bringing ownership mm -hmm. back to the company that this is your program. This is what you do. This is why you do it. This is who's doing it. And actually this is the stuff that's going to affect them, 
what they're doing and and everything else around it and how are you going to protect this and and I talk about this a lot with people I think you know COVID was a real change for that because and I I say this too and I don't want to tempt fate but I think the, the point is we've, we're living in a world now where stuff is happening it happens regularly be it a natural disaster be it a, a terror an act of terrorism be it anything from those sort of high you know, high high factors but sort of low probability type things right through to mm-hmm. you know we're, we're dealing with people with you know, suicide is a, is a is with the highest killer in men under a certain age now we're dealing with major mental health issues we're dealing with physical health issues people um need support in a in a different type of way on on all trips and actually there's this this idea that you know we're, are we going back to what we were doing before covid where we're just traveling too much and and we're, we're not remembering the impact that it's having on people um but covid kind of stopped it in its tracks and i think it becomes the decider because actually now companies know look things will really happen and it will really affect your business so what is your business continuity plan how are you going to keep things moving and i think that's been the major change certainly that i've seen I'm not sure that I've seen a reduction in travel or people really taking their travel risk management programs as seriously as they perhaps will be in the next two to three years. And I hope that it doesn't take a massive event to make that happen, but I have a feeling it might, because with the birth of you know this standard, it's kind of like, you're gonna get caught with your pants down now. You don't really have an excuse not to do this stuff anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are making decisions as to what sort of companies they work for based on some of this stuff as well. Do you see any of that in the work that you do that people are actually interested in this? Does it make a difference? Well, if you look at these things societally, even right, um, these different issues are a source of stress for people. Um, kind of going back to what I was sharing a few minutes ago, you know, your, your, your everyday citizen is walking around now and has these kind of uh, what we know as just typical day-to-day safety and security uh, challenges. Now it's a source of stress for people. They really don't know what to do about them. They're looking for answers. And um, in some cases, it's a nice thing because I'm seeing some organizational leadership come down from the, the top and say, you know, what are we doing about these issues? And one of the big things I've worked with organizations with is, you know, the issue of active assailant, active shooter, active aggressor, those sorts of things. Like you were saying, it's a very high impact event, but I'm glad to say we can still say it's a pretty low probability uh, in many places of society, but it's become such a stressor for people because where are they seeing it all the time in the news? Right. And so we're getting this image that this is something happening all the time and it is happening more frequent than ever. It's becoming more dangerous in terms of the impact it's having uh, on on our collective, um, you know, our bodies, our mental mindset, all of these different things. And so people are looking for answers. And I think we're at a day and age where when organizations make the decision to start bringing these kinds of solutions and building programs around this, um, well, the very, the, the very least is they're going to be now providing what I think is largely an organizational benefit. Um, because these are no longer, they're no longer in the confines of an organizational context anymore. We need to really treat this as this is a societal skill. This is a day-to-day skill, um, whether it's just generally being prepared, generally being aware of your surroundings, generally understanding that there are things that can happen to you. 
maybe it is just losing your luggage, or maybe it actually is something a little bit more like you get uh, the coronavirus while you're traveling around the world and you have to figure out how to get yourself home. And so people are starting to ask the question, I think, in, in mass more so than ever. And I think if organizations can really just identify that this is a question that's out there, we can provide the answer. And based on that, I think it's going to be a stress reliever because people are having this answer now. They have some sort of framework that they can uh, bring this with into. And um, based on that, well, the benefit to the organization is because that stress is at least not the same level as what it may have been. Now we're getting that productivity back and we're, loose, we're, we're lessening that concern and we're getting that ability to concentrate on the things that we uh, need and, and should be concentrating on. So um, short answer long. Yeah, I think I think the next couple of years, you, you said it really well, Bex, I think the next couple of years, there's going to be a real transitional time frame where these things come uh, more and more mainstream. And almost, you know, there'll be that, I guess, like with a lot of these things, the it would be led by the larger corporates going down the chain to their smaller suppliers, you know, demanding that these things happen. You know, you're already beginning, you know, as in the same way you see the, the cybersecurity stuff coming through and you see operational stuff coming through. It's very common already to say, you know, have you got a business continuity? Um, process or policy and, and you'll start to see this stuff come through and I think already um, in fact I think you and I might have even shared something on LinkedIn about this you know you're seeing it in job roles as well there's this real interest for me that's a change right that's this travel risk management roles coming up so not a travel manager um, which is questionable that it was very limited as far as risk was concerned it was much more about sort of contracts and that sort of stuff really and negotiating and probably dealing with a lot of operational issues to be fair that that's kind of where that sits and now we're bringing into this kind of risk piece so um, have you seen that from your corporates as well this kind of understanding that it's great to come in with a, to have someone like you come in and consult but ultimately they need to look after this themselves too. So how are they going to restructure to sort of look at that? I look at sort of committees and putting the right people in. Is that something that you're experiencing as well? Yeah. And, you know, we've actually been busier because of that. It's kind of um, with, with the center, it's actually kind of our business model in terms of equipping organizations to be able to handle this kind of an issue internally. Um, and so we have a lot of these different capabilities and support mechanisms out there. You know, your travel assistance providers, insurance, um, open source intelligence capabilities, communications platforms, all of these different things. Well, that is an outsourced service. So really working with clients where our space within this is we'll come and work with clients to really say, OK, these are all great. But how do you use them? So it walks, talks and sounds like your organization and fits your culture and then giving them some tools to be able to use it internally. And you're exactly right. It does largely come with, let's put a multidisciplinary team together that represents the different functions within the organization. Um, just like we talk about in the standard, the TRM committee, right? Mm -hmm. Let's put that together, have this multifaceted uh, group of folks that are looking at the different components of the organization. And now it's represented, bringing that communication together uh, because there's so often times the case that uh, these different capabilities within the organization are siloed. Travel managers are off on their island. Security's off on their island. And yeah, they might kind of work together sometimes, but formalizing that relationship, yeah. right, and really bringing that together and then going all the way down to the lowest levels of what does the traveler truly need to do? 
we can have the best assistance pro platform in the world. We can have the best insurance policy. We can have the best, uh, you know, whatever it is, put, you know, insert X here on the line. But if the traveler really doesn't recognize exactly how to use these different capabilities and exactly how to engage them, what number to call, what button to push, how to maintain their own safety and security uh, from the moment they have an issue occur to the moment that they do get this assistance, where do they need to go? How do they need to posture themselves? All of these different things. Well, if we don't engage the traveler at that level, there's a huge, huge gap. And that's where, as we're talking about earlier, that training piece is near and dear to my heart because again, that traveler is so impactful within this. And um, in in the essence that it's an informational process, if the support mechanisms aren't getting the information that something has gone wrong, we've got a real problem of being able to support those that we're sending around the world. And um, so being able to set these programs up in a manner where the organization has the capabilities in-house to bring these initiatives forward and then using these support mechanisms to help them do what they do better uh, is is truly what it's all about. So yes, I have absolutely been seeing that uh, pretty regularly. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. It just feels like it's it's something. It's kind of validation, you know, from my perspective as well. Because sometimes when you're a consultant, you do that on your own. But my mission is always: you've got this stuff, but what you've done is you kind of solution solved, and that's not necessarily your fault. It's how the suppliers were sold to you, right? They've come in duty of care, solution selling, la 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 la. We know the problems, um, but now we've got the problems. All of these suppliers kind of are looking at you, Mr. Customer, to know, or Mrs. Customer, to know um what you do and who you are and all that stuff and that's the bit that's missing i think because for 30 years they outsource the program and they don't know what the program is they don't have the right data they don't understand it or it's so compartmentalized and actually it just becomes this little t and e line on a spreadsheet um yep. at the you know at the end of the month and it's just a, it's a it's a bind it's a cost to control as opposed to the reality of what it is of these people that have experienced stuff Mm-hmm. Look, I told you we get round really quickly. This happens. So so I'm going to just take you on to our final question, which is, and I think you've already given us loads of tips and loads of stuff. But if someone's wanting to get into this space, um, what is your golden nugget for them as to how they might start doing that? If somebody wants to get into this space, you know, honestly, I wouldn't say it's the most easily thing, the most easy thing that can be done because how we were talking about this is a pretty niche thing. It's, um, it, you know, having not uh, been a part of it on the military side, I don't know that I would have ever found this coming into the private sector. So it really is kind of an interesting, um, interesting question. I would say that, you know, start looking at the travel industry categorically. You know, if we look at it from that perspective, because then you bring in, you have the airlines, you've got uh, travel management, travel agencies, uh, companies out there um, in the scholastic world, you've got study abroad. And so I'd say look at it high level and then drill in uh, based on your area of uh, skill or your passion, whatever is of interest to you and start, you know, looking into those spaces. You know, of course, the Google machine is always beneficial in that regard, using some some uh, key words to help find what might be out there. But beyond that, um, you know, using the various tools available, if you have somebody on LinkedIn or if you know somebody that is kind of in this world, whether it's um, from the security perspective or maybe from more traditional travel management, have conversations, reach out. And, and you know, it can be kind of nerve wracking for folks sometimes to 
start a conversation like that, but ask those questions and, and get that information. And sometimes just by having a conversation, people be like, you know what, I actually know somebody that knows somebody and I'll make an introduction and uh, the path starts from there. But it does take effort. There's no, there's no shortage of effort on the individual to, to gather that information, see exactly what's out there, get a lay of the land. And then based on that, start with what you know and start with who you know. And um, usually that'll, that'll lead you down some path anyway. It certainly leads you somewhere, doesn't it? I don't think any of us necessarily, I mean, you did know the kind of career you wanted to have, but you didn't think you'd be where you are now, which is, which is interesting. And I certainly had no idea I would be where I am now with this stuff, although it's just been a deep passion all the way through. I just, I just really like this. And I think going in from the travel side is a really, really good because the travel side is much more open um, and it's a lot easier to get into. A lot of the risk side is security companies. You know, it's ex-military, it's ex-police. So it can feel a little bit more closed near and you and you feel like you need to have some sort of real good experience to be able to actually sort of do that piece. Whereas the travel piece at the moment is kind of, it's a little bit new to us, to be honest with you. So actually just trying to understand that industry and how it works and then look at the risks. I know for, me, for sure when I first got into this and I started working at a hotel bed bank and people were telling me you know so how are the hotels vetted and I'm there going mm. um you know I knew that I could see gaps straight away and then I've been able to sort of develop the career that I have within this so I think that's really really uh, just all really good stuff Jay I can't believe we've come to half an hour already I could do another half an hour just off the it was my best. I know right um there's so much more I want to get into um and maybe we'll do it in our next series of episodes next year and I'll bring you back for a second one and we can we can get into it a little bit more um but thank you so much for joining us today it's been an absolute thank you pleasure to have you um so to everybody thank you for listening you've been listening to talking trm with travel respects my guest today jake newton um please do listen to us we'll have another episode another couple of weeks you can subscribe on all the normal channels and you've got information about my guests and us at the end of all of this thank you so much in the meantime take care look after your people and we'll see you soon thank you for listening to today's podcast Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to a Scent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.